Hello everybody, it's Nicole here, and you're listening to Bikes Bark. Today, we have a podcast that's going to cover social media and its response to COVID-19. Within a few weeks, the novel coronavirus has undone a century's worth of our economic and social habits. The U.S. assumed what is essentially a wartime footing. Its primary focus is on curtailing the spread of the virus and creating capacity to those who contract it. To accomplish this, we've been encouraged, all 7 billion of us, to keep to ourselves as much as possible, a practice known as social distancing. Schools and universities have been shut down, along with cultural and religious institutions, restaurants, and much more. The same goes for sporting events, theaters, conventions, and any other large public gatherings. Many office buildings have emptied out with employees ordered to work remotely. Travel, especially on planes and trains, is being severely diminished. Some of us, maybe most of us, will find this incredibly hard. I mean, what's the most addictive thing in the world? Other people. We are, for the most part, social animals. What kind of animal would we be without the socializing? We're about to find out. One of the biggest changes right now, one of the biggest unplanned experiments of the COVID-19 era, has to do with virtual communication. Social networking services have been used to spread information and to make light of the pandemic via internet memes. There's been a sharp increase in the use of social media during the pandemic, largely due to social distancing measures and stay-at-home orders encouraged by many governments. Since many people are stuck inside, we turn to social media to maintain our relationships and provide us access to entertainment to pass the time. However, the potential of digital technologies to go beyond that have been revealed to the larger public. Emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, or AI, help to expedite the development of vaccine and state-of-the-art algorithms that can predict which public health measures would be the most effective, while also keeping the public updated on the latest news, allowing us to move much of our lives online. Take education. Schools and universities across the U.S. and elsewhere have been shut down and in response caused for the action of remote teaching and learning. Zoom and Google Classroom provided a way for this to be possible. Zoom, if you don't already know, is a video conferencing app, easy to use, able to host up to 100 people per meet, and all you need is a room key. And relatively just as simple as Google Classroom, teachers and students can share and streamline files between one another in real time. Even healthcare communities, particularly in countries where the virus is hit hardest, develop telehealth applications to transmit information between medical institutions and provide access to online health education programs. Being forced into many difficult and unplanned lifestyle changes from a pandemic, which are never easy to adjust to, meant that not all regions and social groups are equally able to harness the potential of digital technologies to combat the virus. According to the State of Broadband 2019 report, Although internet user penetration rate is 51.2%, it's only 45% in developing countries and 20% in least developed countries. Further, not everybody is able to work from home. Essential workers have been talked a lot about in the news. So people like Uber drivers and food delivery are really important in keeping the economy going and providing for those who live remotely and that kind of thing. 
But those individuals are not able to stay home and self-isolate in a way that we could do if they could work from home. And so they're necessarily out in the environment interacting with people which could place them at a greater risk for COVID-19. Even over the past months, oh man, it's almost been a year now, the coronavirus has shown clear financial implications for people of lower income, have unstable jobs, or are on temporary unemployment, as well as uncovering the ever-increasing digital and knowledge division. UNESCO, which stands for the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, especially caught my attention for how they're combating this issue. I found that they initiate socially beneficial applications of digital technologies by mobilizing young innovators in their partnership with Hackathon that allowed students to collaborate on digital solutions to the current and future pandemic-related challenges, as well as supporting the efforts of the Quebec Institute of Artificial Intelligence, NILA, to develop and deploy AI-enabled mobile app solutions to migrate COVID-19 all while fostering collaboration and partnership in the launch of the Agenda for Action for Faster and Better Recovery created by the Broadband Commissions for Sustainable Development to improve internet access and uses to countries where it is lacking. All of this is done with the persistent message that we need to be unified in our efforts to stay away from each other, only physically, of course. It's September 24th. And as the nation enters its seventh month since the COVID-19 pandemic began, the stress of living with the coronavirus and not knowing when the pandemic will end is taking its toll on people's mental health. Quarantine is proving to be challenging for many Americans. The loss of jobs and the scarce opportunity for jobs, losing direct connection with friends, colleagues, and extended family can introduce new stressors and exacerbate existing mental health concerns in an already stressful time. Social connection is a really primary way for which most of us cope with stress, and it's really important for our social and emotional well-being. Sort of a primary source of our emotional well-being. We vary in how much we need to prefer to engage in social media interactions. So we could be introverts or extroverts, but moreover, we value the awareness, preparedness, and knowledge social networking platforms can provide during a crisis. At the same time, a huge amount of health-threatening misinformation is spreading at a faster rate than the disease itself. And in the words of the Director General of The Who, Dr. Tendros himself, we're not just fighting an epidemic, we're also fighting an infodemic. We've heard about posts and memes going viral. They often kind of sort out it's kind of small, but once they get bigger and bigger and amplify, that's when it's quite hard to control just like an epidemic, an outbreak to an epidemic to a pandemic. I think when I first started thinking about misinformation, I'm seeing misinformation coming up on my social media feeds. I'm hearing people talk about it, but when we really started reporting it and looking into what research has to say about how information spreads and what differences that might have to the success or failure of public health responses, I was quite blown away by just how complicated this can get. There's a lot of unknowns, so people go online to find information, but we've kind of got these, we call it confirmation bias or sort of underlying presumptions that all of us have in the back of our heads. For example, 
I think of myself as presenting information to you with the belief that researchers are looking for evidence and therefore that's who we're going to put our faith in. But there's a lot of people who kind of might have different notions about who they trust or distrust or things they already believe to be true. Researchers I found discussed a lot about how conspiracies that are coming out now often at their very base have some kind of underlying notion that appeals to various people. Okay, so specifically, if you're a person who believes that technology companies are sort of ruthlessly out to mine our information and control us, you might be drawn to conspiracies that sort of crystallize those notions. And then there are other people who feel that governments want to take control of or that globalism is a way to sort of threaten America. Then there's anti-vaxxers who might believe that vaccines are a way that governments are trying to cull the population. That's like one thing there. Or pharmaceutical companies are causing harm. Since the national and global shift to remote work and living, the safety and future development of our society relies on our understanding and evolution from the impacts of social media on COVID-19. These platforms aid engaging you with the world around you, even if you can't be out in it, by enabling the option to post, share, and comment at the click of a button. We have unlimited access to virtually anything under the sun. But it's always a double-edged sword. The virus caused havoc on many people's lives and is still continuing to do so. How will we allow technology and social media to shape our society in the fight against COVID-19 is up to us.